Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's right. It's another episode of With the First Pick podcast on CBS Sports HQ. I'm Ryan Wilson, joined by our general manager, Rick Spielman. More than 30 years of NFL experience, 10 years as the Vikings general manager, Three months is my co-host here. Um, I'm sure it feels like 10 years. That's okay. So what are we talking about today, Rick? A lot on the show. Uh, in the B Block, by the way, we're going to be joined by Josh Pate. Huh? Can't wait for that. I had a lot of fun here so far with Josh. But first, we're going to talk about uh, some, little, some news that happened around the league, and then we're going to get into uh, some winners and losers from day one of the Combine on-field. You were in the stadium. You got to see it. Probably felt like you were right at home. Uh, how was that experience for you? It was like the same experience I had for the last 32 years. So. Okay, well, there, there we go. So some other experiences that, that you've had to deal with as a general manager, start with players. And I want to talk about Rashad Bateman and Eric DaCosta, uh, the Vikings wide receiver. Excuse me, the, the, the Ravens wide receiver. He was from the Gophers, Minnesota Gophers. That's right, thank you. And, and, of course, Eric DaCosta, the Ravens general manager. He made some comments recently here in Indianapolis about how, and you can see them right here on the screen, uh, Eric DaCosta was asked about the wide receivers and why he struggled uh, with finding wide receivers that have been big playmakers. And you can see what Rashad Bateman tweeted here. He said, how about you play to your players' strengths and stop pointing the finger at us And number eight, number eight is Lamar Jackson, of course. Blame the one uh, you let do this. We take heat 24-7 and keep us healthy, by the way. Care about us and see what happens. Ain't no promises, though. Tired of your line and capping on players for no reason. Now, he later went on to delete that tweet and apologize because oftentimes we say things out loud that we later regret. But I understand Rashad Bateman's frustration. But, Rick, I'll ask you as a general manager from, from your perspective, I, I'm assuming we can all agree DeCosta probably wished he had worded his comments better. But now that the, the cat's out of the bag, what are we doing? Yeah, well, the first thing you're going to do is try to reach out to the player and try to reach out to the agent because you do not want this fest to fester going into the off season. So if there's an issue, and, and I would call the player right away, I would talk to his agent, we would work through. I would apologize if I was wrong and said something did not come out the right way. Apologize that I didn't mean it to come out like that. But uh, you can't let that fester, especially going into the off season. So when you say you're having a conversation with, with Rashad Bateman in this case and his agent, is it a come-to-Jesus conversation? Is it a cordial conversation? What, what's the temperament You, you just like? have to feel the temperature. Okay. So is there anything else underlying besides that? So if Rashad Bateman does have some issues, then let's discuss them. Let's get them all on the table. Let's have an adult conversation. Let's try to resolve these issues as quickly as we can so we can move on and get ready to do what we have to do going into next year. 
And speaking of what we have to do, Rashad Bateman, when he was uh, at uh, during the pre-draft process, had a great 40 time. We're going to talk about some players who had great 40 times today. They're not wide receivers on the defensive side of the ball, the defensive linemen, the edge rushers, some linebackers. I'm going to start with one of your winners, Rick. Let's start at the top. A young man we spoke with yesterday out of Iowa, never started a football game in Iowa, Lucas Van Ness. We knew he was going to test well. Did you have any idea that Lucas Van Ness at 6'5", 272, would run a 4'5", no, when you watched him on tape, uh, you saw him play outside, you saw him play inside, both the flexibility that he can go up and down the defensive line for you. Uh, you saw some of the athletic traits. Where he was lacking was the technique. And that stuff, when you're watching the tape and you're talking with the coaches pre-combine, is, hey, we can work with that, but let's see what he does when he gets to the combine. And this kid was impressive when we talked to him interviewed him earlier before all this, he goes out and blows out combine numbers that are very unique, especially with the arm length as well. And now coaches and scouts and GMs are going to go back, and I bet you he's going to start shooting up some draft boards. If there was any question about him not going in the first round, I think with the numbers that he put up today and how hard he plays – and a coach telling the general manager, hey, I could fix what we see on tape because it's all technical things. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in first round now. 34-inch arms, and in terms of fixing things on tape, he told us the reason he didn't start is because at Iowa, the tradition is if you're older and you're a veteran, you play more snaps, and that was the case with, with Lucas Van Ness. He seemed to understand the situation. He also seemed to understand that his future is probably going to be pretty bright in the NFL. And that's Very why, bright now. Very <laughs> bright now. And let's be clear here. You know as much as you know about Lucas Van Ness going into today. The tape hasn't changed, but you are impressed by the numbers. I am impressed by the numbers because you can't teach what he did out of that uh, combine today. And you can't put up numbers with that size, with that speed, with that arm length, and ignore that. And that's why you go back, and I understand what you're talking about. Technically, with his hands as a pass rusher, can he get his pad level a little lower at times? But he plays hard. That's something you can't teach. That right. has to be in a player's heart. So if you got a guy that plays hard, hard that is limited in playtime per se compared to everybody else. So as you said earlier, there's a lot of tread left on that tires. His arrow is going definitely up. Another young man whose arrow is going up and played a lot of football last year for the University of Tennessee is Byron Young. Had a great season, had a great senior bowl. Again, he came in, and these guys are running times like they're Rashad Bateman at wide receiver, 6'2", uh, 250, but he ran a 4-4-3, and it just confirmed the athleticism, the numbers, confirmed what we saw on tape, right? Yeah, no, and he really jumped out down at the senior bowl. I was not as enthusiastic about him as you were yeah. when you watched the tape this fall. He was a good player, uh, but he didn't stick out. But these are the type of guys that, okay, what do they do after their season? Are they trending up or are they trending down? And this kid is definitely trending up because he played great in the senior bowl. You saw his motor. You saw his energy. You saw the pass rush ability coming off the edge. He is a little undersized, but then he goes out there and puts up numbers like this. He continues to trend up. I don't think he's going to be – he's not a first-round pick, in no. my opinion, but someone's going to move him up the board. I wouldn't be surprised to see his name come off on Friday. I feel like a day two range feels right for Byron Young. And another young man – and, you know, you're talking about effort with Lucas Van Ness. We talked about effort with Byron Young. This young man has all the talent in the world. Florida defensive tackle Javon Dexter, again, insane numbers. That's why he's one of your winners, 6'6", 3'10". Uh, his 
arms were 32 and a quarter inch, and by Rick Spielman and NFL standards, that's relatively short for a defensive tackle. Especially a 6-6 defensive tackle. He ran a 4-8-8. Now, I don't know if the 40 time, it's not a 5-3, so I don't know if the 4-8-8 gets your attention as much as the arm length and the athleticism in general. The athleticism and that 40 time at that size will grab your attention. Now, when you watch him on tape, at times you will see him pursuit outside. He's like, this is a big man that can run. But other times it seems like he doesn't play as hard. So the biggest question I would have with him during the interview process, and I would show him plays on tape, this is what we see you do. That And this play shows that you run a 4 or 4-8. You're an incredible athlete for your size. And then I'd throw on another play. Why aren't you running to the ball and playing hard all the time? But there's a lot of untapped potential here. Teams have to decide whether he's an underachiever, and I've missed on some guys that were underachievers, or can that coach get to him to make sure that he's playing hard every snap and what it takes to play in the NFL. Another young man that played extremely hard on tape at Northwestern, Tommy Adabare. Loved him, loved him. Uh, first tape I watched on him was against Nebraska out at Ireland. And That's right, the first game of the season. First game of the season. I said, this kid's got a chance to be a pretty good player. I don't know if he's an edge rusher, but... I thought that maybe he can be a good inside pass rusher. We saw him down at the Senior Bowl. They slid him inside. I think he's got an excellent chance of being third down nickel inside pass rusher. And then these numbers just confirmed what type of athlete he actually is. Four four nine, and I, I said to you, he's only six two. He's four inches shorter than Javon Dexter, but he has longer arms, almost thirty four inch arms. And I asked you specifically just before the show, do you want six two and thirty four inch arms, or do you want six six and thirty two and a quarter inch arms? And you said if you put to- Tommy Adabare in Javon Dex- Dexter's body, then it, the problem solved. Then you're talking about a top ten pick. That's right, and Adabare as the saying goes, made himself a lot of money, it feels like, not only today, but in the Senior Bowl and the way he played there. Yeah, and if you thought that he was potentially uh, going to be a day three guy, maybe an early fourth round pick, the performance he had at the Senior Bowl, the performance he had today out on that field, he could slip into Friday, and he's another guy that is trending in the right direction. I feel like he's a Friday guy. I I agree with you. I love the kid. I love the way he plays. He's an outstanding character guy, smart, intelligent, everything you want in a player. Everybody's just a little nervous about the size, especially as an edge rusher at 6'2". But what he showed when he went down at the Senior Bowl, that I can be an inside pass rusher in nickel situations on the field, this kid made some money today. Adabari was one of my winners as well. Another winner, a guy we didn't see for much of the season, at least second half of the season because of a pectoral injury, didn't play in the national title game, but was very visible on the sidelines cheering his teammates on. And this young man, Nolan Smith, ran a 4.39 officially today. He's an edge rusher, slightly undersized. Uh, he's less than 245. I don't have the, the official number in front of me. Um, but the thing is this. He was angry, Rick, that he only ran a 4.39. And he said he wasn't running as fast as perhaps he could have. I'm not saying that he was, he was, he was loafing, but he, he thought he had another gear he could have hit. And he was visibly frustrated and talked about it uh, on the telecast. Great football player. You can see him run here. And obviously – this feels like it catapults him. When you watch some of these guys run, and we just watched him run there, it doesn't look like a 4-3 line, but he's such a smooth athlete. You see him stride down the field. You see how efficient his start is in a 40-yard dash. He's not going back and forth as he's running. He's running in a straight line. He'll, hey, I just ran a 4-3-9. Damn, I'm going to go in the first round. <laughs> that's right. And that's what I was going to ask you, the old uh, Spielman dollar bet here. Any chance you want to take the dollar that he falls outside the top 31? No. 
The only thing that I was disappointed a little bit, I would have liked to see him work out. I know he ran the 40, ran a great time. I don't believe he did the drills. I didn't see him out there. I don't want to say if I miss it, I apologize. Right. But I didn't see him doing any drills. I'm sure he'll do it down at the Georgia Pro Day. But when you watched him on tape, especially earlier in the season, I thought he was more talented, played harder, although uh, Ojolari did play hard down there. Yeah. But he was more talented, more athletic, and quicker twitch than uh, Ojolari was when he came out. So another young man who – in the fall, got some first-round buzz, and the, the course of the season, not that it became clear, but there's some things he needed to work on it in terms of better awareness at the position. He had moved from tight end. I'm talking about Isaiah Foskey, the edge rusher from Notre Dame. Enormous. Big hands. Physically, everything you want. And then he comes down here, and he busts out a 4-5-8. Right. Now, I don't think this necessarily means he's a top 31 pick at this point. He feels like a day two pick all day long because of the intangibles. What are you thinking about Isaiah Foskey? Yeah, he had a good day today, and he has unique size, unique arm length. He ran fast. The only issue I had with him is I don't see the athletic numbers that he ran here today. They don't uh, translate to when you're watching the tape, or you don't see those same type of numbers with the way he plays. Sometimes he plays by the numbers, which I mean he doesn't always look natural or instinctive at what he does. A defensive line coach is definitely going to fall in love with him because of these measurables. They're going to say, hey, let me work with this kid because I think he has a chance. You just got to make sure that he's an instinctive football player. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go off script here. Our producer Debo just, just let me know that. Why does Debo just talk to you and not me? He's afraid of you. Uh, <laughs> breaking news because we're doing this as, the, as some of the, the players are still running their times. One of your favorite people on planet Earth, Will Anderson, ran an unofficial 469. What does that say to you? Well, it's unofficial. so but It's going to be in that neighborhood. Yeah, but you, you, it's probably a little disappointing. You think so? Yeah, because you'd want him to run in the four fives. That would solidify him maybe as a number one overall pick. But that's not slow. That's more than fast enough to be one of the top players picked in this draft, especially maybe the top defensive player picked in this draft right now. But wait a second. Four, six, nine, ten years ago, you're doing cartwheels for that yeah, size, Yeah, but that was right? ten years ago. Okay, okay. So, But the way these guys are running now and the way they get trained, uh, you're expecting fast times. And, you know, to go back and not to open up a uh, scab, but some <laughs> of your bold predictions are going to get blown away. They're very, very, very conservative bold predictions. <laughs> That's bad for me. Also bad for me, the 469 unofficial right now will be more fuel for the fire of Pete Prisco and his anti Oh, my Anderson God. If he learned what a football, good football player is, we'd be a lot better. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we're going to talk to Josh Pate on With the First Pick podcast here on CBS Sports HQ. We'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right. We are back with the first pick. Ryan Wilson. Rick Spielman, and we're joined by Josh Pate, late kick with Josh Pate 
of that fame. I don't know if I'm Pate State material, Josh, but I am Pate State casual this <laughs> evening. So that's a that's a starting point for me, and we'll go from there. Rick is always dressed to the nines, and it's hard to compete with that. But I, eights, I can't afford the nines. Uh, here we go. <laughs> this man, this man has more money than Jesus. So <laughs> that's a conversation for another time. But Jesus I, I wanna, was poor, by the way. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, but I want to start here, Rick, because Josh is he knows everything about the the college scene and the high school players and their journey to the college uh, the college scene as well and that's sort of when we pick things up right when they become juniors and seniors and make their way to the NFL and Josh and I were talking about this earlier how a young man can come into a, a college program weighing 215 as a two star and we talked to Keon White yesterday exactly about that and he ends up being 280 grows into his body and potentially making himself a first round pick a five star and now a five star. So, so Josh, give us uh, some insight into what that journey feels like for you, and before we pick up the ball and take it over to the NFL side. Well, I get to be in the perfect position because I'm not actually on the rankings council, so I get to talk about it. <laughs> but I don't have to bear any of the brunt. But the thing about it is, a lot of people want to call a guy a bust. You hear that language in the NFL all the time, but you also hear that language in the NFL as it relates to what a guy's former star rating was coming out of high school. And the fact of the matter is, I, I kind of feel for our guys sometimes, and they shy away from defending themselves, so I defend them because I'm not on the rankings council. How are you supposed to project a 70-pound weight gain in college? Right. How are you supposed to project a lot of things that we see developmentally, and sometimes guys are not a finished product when they come out of college, but imagine that times 10, and that's what you're dealing with case by case coming out of high school, but the other thing is at least you've got three, four, or in some cases five years of physical maturation that's happened in college. In the high school world, some guys are still two or three years away from that pop year physically, developmentally. It's a crapshoot, total crapshoot, and that's why I think the quarterback position has been a lot more figured out. But case by case, man, when you're trying to evaluate linebackers, edge rushers, linemen especially, some guys, I don't even care if you go to Wisconsin, Alabama, et cetera, you're still a couple of years away developmentally from even being able to be properly graded and it's, it's an unenviable position sometimes for our guys to, uh, to evaluate high school kids. Rick, let me ask you, do you ever have the occasion now or even when you were in, in the league to, to catch, a, I don't know if you have time, to catch a high school football game in the fall? Are you mentally doing the evaluation of these players? Or you, that was never on your radar. <laughs> yeah. Well, I went and watched my kids play high school. Right. And I had one son that was a pretty good high school player then ended up going to Nebraska and eventually at TCU. And I would sit in the stands with my wife, and i try to sit in the end zone because I didn't want all the parents talking to me all the time. <laughs> and I'm sitting in. there, and I'm telling my wife, hey, J.D., he has to get lower, his pad level lower, okay? Oh, He's got to secure the ball. He can't be fumbling the ball when he gets <laughs> an opportunity to do this or do that. And my wife looked at me, and she just says, can you just be a dad and enjoy <laughs> this? And it's hard to turn off the evaluation skills yeah. all the time because I'm sitting there watching. Uh, at Eden Prairie High School up in Minnesota, they had five kids that are playing in the NFL right now that were on that football team. And so I'm sitting there watching these kids, and I think, Man, maybe these guys do have a chance down the road. And uh, but I don't understand. I, we have a hard time projecting a guy even physically because right. they're not physically mature when they come to us. Because now they're coming out at 20, 21 years old, and there's still a lot of development left, both physically and mentally, uh, when they get up to the NFL. So we wait for three years before we decide whether they five-star pro or a four-star pro, but I can't imagine how hard that is to try to project a high school kid. When I talked to all these coaches, I says, I don't know how you do it. Right. 
because you can see some physical traits, but how do you know if a kid's matured and that's all he's going to get, it's all the size, or right. this kid is going to continue to grow. So I don't know the formula that they use, but that's a very, very difficult uh, evaluation. And one more thing, at least when a guy has gone to especially a larger program, you can get a sense, if you're a general manager, you can get a sense of the nutrition plan he's been on. You know what the guy has put in his body. And if he's not going to be straight with you, you can ask nutritionists, you can ask strength coaches. I, a lot of our guys, I hear them talk about something that, frankly, I don't think most of the public even thinks about, and that is finding out what a kid's nutrition habits have been as a 10th grader, 11th grader. And a lot of times what you find out, and this is no knock on Smuckers, love the company. It's just been a lot of, P, it's been a lot of PBJ and maybe some whey powder mixed in there. So And a McDonald's every yeah, Friday sure, night sure. after a game. Let's just knock them all down, yeah. So, Josh, you, you said something that I, I thought was interesting. You said it, it almost seems like the quarterback position is a little better figured out early on in the process. Can you talk more about that? Is that because of, of all the camps and it's a little easier to identify guys who can throw the ball 60 yards, guys who, who can th throw an out with a little bit of anticipation, or is it something different? So what I've noticed from as kind of an outsider's perspective is because of the specialization of the position, yeah. a lot more of the structure that used to have to wait until college and even the pro game is put around you in 10th grade. You've got your own private coaching, the camp circuit, obviously, and you start to get more looks on guys earlier on than you ever would have. And so you have camps like the Elite 11 circuit to where not only is there a finals, but you've got semifinals. And so you've got guys going all over the country and they compete in different regionals. And by the time a guy is coming into his senior year of high school, you've seen hundreds of reps. You've seen game reps, but you've also seen him go good on good. And you've been able to get eyeballs on them against the other comparable quarterbacks in the country. So the quarterback position, I'm not saying you, you never have diamonds in the rough. You never have bust. I'm just saying, I think the the bust rate has gone down significantly on that position because of the exposure it gets relative to the other positions. That Can I ask sense. you a quick question? Has a lot of the testing, especially at the quarterback position in high school, the psychological testing, the cognitive learning, uh, the mental quickness and how quickly they process, are they, when they're going to these camps, testing those kids now? Because I've heard from a couple of people that some of these kids start doing those tests early to try to indicate what type of future they're going to have as a quarterback. We went out to L.A. for the Elite 11 Finals this past summer, and I certainly was, was excited to see those guys on the field. But during the day, I went around to all those rooms that they go into, and a lot of times it's closed. Even to people covering the event, it's closed. And I had a couple of them walk me through some of the cognitive testing that yeah. those quarterbacks are going through. And I don't know what used to be normal. I can just tell you confidently, Mr. Spielman, if what they're doing now <laughs> is what they've always done, I would be very surprised. Uh, yeah. yeah, they so they've got they've got entire portions of those camp structures carved out for what they would just call neck up, and then the rest of it's the on the field. That's the highlights. That's what you always see. But they um, they've got a really good read on what they want to have a read on mentally. Yeah, when I was a I was a quarterback in high school, and they didn't even test me because it wasn't invented at the time. But writing yeah. wasn't invented yet. No, they didn't have writing or anything. <laughs> no phone, no cell phones, nothing. Hey, so, okay, so but they did look at me and they said, "Saw me throw the ball. Hey, throws pretty good." But I, when I got recruited, I wanted to be a quarterback. I wanted to be Dieter Brock. That's oh, what I yeah. thought. Of. He was my favorite guy up in the Canadian League yeah. for the uh, played for the Rams for a little bit. Too. Yeah, he played in uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and I always thought I would be the Dieter Brock. And then, so <laughs> when I was getting recruited out of high school, and this was back in the late seventies, early eighties, uh, Miami of Florida came down and uh, came and watched me throw, and then they went up to see another player, 
up in Boardman, Ohio. And they said, yeah, we'll be back in contact with you. And then I never heard back from them. And I'm like, what the heck? So you know the guy that went up and watched? Bernie Kozar. Huh, that guy, yeah. yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah. He's so, done pretty yeah, well. No, and they end up moving me to linebacker anyway. <laughs> so, which happens to a lot of the, the best yeah. athletes, typically, when you get to a big program, they, they move you around. We're going to get to just good football players, 3.0 in one sec. We're going to get Josh's uh, list of those guys. But I, I want to ask you quickly, Rick, because your son played with Jermaine Johnson. Is that yes. right? Yep. First-round pick last year of the Jets. And I want to ask you in the, in the sort of just the – Bring this full circle. Carter Coughlin's playing. I played with the New York Giants. Um, Yeah, there's about uh, Antoine Winfield played with my son growing up. Let me ask you this about that, because Antoine was smaller by the time he got to the NFL than what you typically like for safeties. Jermaine fits the part. But when you saw those guys in high school, to, to Josh's larger point, did you have an idea that they had were NFL caliber players? Yeah, and I, I could tell you just a real quick story. All those guys would come on Friday after school, before the games Friday night, to eat at our house. And my wife and my mother served them a spaghetti dinner. Well, one was slurping too loud. They were all <laughs> loon- And next thing I know, there's a brouhaha going. Guys are flying over the table at our dinner table because one guy was, I said, these guys have an edge. They got a chance. Do we call that a character concern? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's my question. I call that an edge that's yeah. going to carry them a long way. All right, so, Rick, you and I have done just good football players, versions one and two. Thankfully, we have Josh Pate here to do version three. I'm going to give his list, and, Josh, you can highlight a guy that you like on this, and we'll have Rick push back. We'll see if he treats you like he treats me. We- <laughs> I agree. I agree, Josh, with everything. Yeah, no, he I haven't not. even seen the list yet. <laughs> so, Josh's list is Devin Achain. We've talked about him several times today. The running back out of Texas A&M. He hasn't run yet, but it's going to be a blazing time. Derek Hall, the edge rusher out of Auburn. And, and Dayon Henley, a guy that I know that Rick likes. We've talked about him previously in the podcast. Out of Washington, the linebacker there. Give me one of those guys that, that you're really excited about. The the Hall guy at Auburn, I go to uh, because got to see him in person a lot. Didn't get to see Henley as much in person. And by as much, I mean I've never seen him in person. Right. But Derek Hall, what stood out to me is he played on poor teams most often. And yet the motor, you know, that's what I noticed. Uh, the hard-nosed play. And they got a couple of guys. Owen Pat Poe is another guy Absolutely. on that team who played that way. Uh, both of these guys were highly touted coming out of high school. I just I look at those guys the way I look at probably a chain for an offensive reason. I look at them on underachieving teams. I look at them as playing on underachieving units, and I always wonder. Sometimes it doesn't pan out this way, but I always wonder how much more juice is left in that squeeze that that program didn't get out. And that's either in performance, or it could be developmentally, or it could be a combination of both, as it usually is. So with Hall, uh, love his length. Love his pass rush ability. Struggled against the run, and he and Henley I both look at as a guy. I wonder. Is he a little more raw still, maybe, right. than some people expect? And I know you don't want to draft a guy and then have to develop him several years, but I always watched Derek Hall and thought, that's a really good football player, which is the literal name of this segment, and that's why I went with that, Derek L- Hall. Let me ask you this before you answer, Rick, because I think that Josh makes a good point, and you could make that point for Will Levis, uh, a player on a football team that struggles for various reasons. People like to make excuses for Will Levis. Do you take that in consideration when you're doing the evaluation about the program that you're coming from and what was asked of that p- person in that program? Yeah, you take consideration of the program, but for your point is when you watch all these guys and the opportunity to see all those guys, although uh, Achain, I don't think he catches the ball well enough, but the one thing that I really noticed about him was for a small back that's as fast as he is, a lot of times those guys don't want to put it up inside. They like to bounce it out and try to outrun the defenders. This guy puts his foot in the ground and is not afraid to take it up. And bo- I just want to see, and I'm anxious to see him work out uh, and how he catches the ball and how natural he is at catching the ball. Day but two he- guy, Aching? Oh, yeah, definitely day two. I feel like two. Yeah, 
not better than my guy Gibbs, but he's a day. <laughs> no. Okay. I think we were we were doing a comparison earlier today on another show, which is also housed on this network. But they put up a blind resume, and we actually looked at a stat profile that you and I thought may be Bijan Robinson yes. because of the rushing yardage, and it ended up being Devon A. Chains. And to Rick's point. Earlier this year, we were doing an episode of Lake Kick where we did something similar, but it was just, it was one of the advanced metrics between the tackles yardage, and it stunned me. And I had watched him, but it still stunned me how much work he had done between the yardage, which speaks to your point, and I think it kind of flies in the face of what the the more stereotypical profile is out there of him. Yeah, every time you, you got the profile in your head, small guy, fast, not going to go up there with the big bodies. He's always going to use the speed to outrun everybody. But he was the exact opposite. He's a small back that plays like a big back. So Derek Hall, I think he's a top sixty guy. I don't know. You're, I think we're a little we're a little far apart on that. But I, I agree with Josh. He's a, he's a really good football player, athletic. So you're bringing in reinforcements to beat up on me tonight. Yes. <laughs> by the way, what a re- I don't have to worry about these guys after they leave college, so there's no consequence. And by the way, Rick, this reinforces a little better shape than me, so you might be in trouble. Well, he was, des- you were, he was describing you what you probably ate after high school games. <laughs> yeah, it was the last spaghetti meatballs. Uh, by the way, uh, I just found out via uh, producer Debo here, uh, unofficially, Hensley, uh, Henley, excuse me, ran a 4.63. Off-ball linebacker, that feels pretty fast. Is that fast enough? Yeah, that's fast. These guys, as long as they're not running 4.8s, 4.9s, if these guys are in a 4.6s, that's more than fast enough. But when you watch these guys, it's great to get that measurement, but you have to really, what is their play speed? Because play speed and time speed could be two different things. But you, you can have you guys. Like I love Henley. He's he one fast. of my just good football players. Right. So, uh, and he was, I believe, a former receiver that converted to linebacker. Receiver and defensive back. Yeah. And what you see is he is a modern day NFL linebacker that has to be able to play on all three downs. And not only can play the run, he can run sideline to sideline, but he's an excellent athlete in coverage. He also feels like a, a day two guy for me. Everybody's a day two guy for you. Day one, there's no, I don't know why you watch anyone because you got 350 guys that are going to between the first, second, and third rounds. There's no fourth rounders. See how they treat me, Josh. <laughs> Josh has been here two days and he, he said to me on the side, he said, I'm, I'm sorry for what you have to go through. And I appreciate it. I patted him on the head. I did all the view. <laughs> but just think how much money you get paid to get abused on the air. Yeah, that's the problem. It's, it's not that's the problem. <laughs> I, yeah, what, what are we doing? But uh, yeah, so I, I think, honestly, though, I, I think. We we all like Achain. Uh You have the concerns about catching. I think he's 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 pretty good in that area. But as you and Pete Prisco tell me, I love everyone, and, and that's okay. Uh, but but I think this is a great list. It, it fits right into our just good football players list, absolutely. And uh, I think I think we're almost out of time here. So we have done three podcasts from here in Indianapolis live on CBS Sports HQ. It's been a lot of fun. We'll be back tomorrow as well to do another podcast at 7 p.m. See it there. So you can get with the first pick wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, on YouTube if you do that. And don't forget, coverage continues here in Indianapolis all week. We'll be here Saturday as well. And I want to thank Josh Pate for being here. Not that he needs it. Check out Late Kick with Josh Pate wherever you get your Late Kick with Josh Pate coverage. We'll see you guys tomorrow. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.